My guest today is Ian Rosenberger, CEO of Thread International, the parent company of First Mile, providing sustainable materials from People First supply chains in Haiti, Honduras, and Taiwan, and Day Owl, maker of quality backpacks from First Mile Sustainable Canvas. Ian founded Thread International in 2010 and has been focused on materials reclamation and the human capital associated with trash for almost 10 years. Thread International takes trash destined for landfills in the ocean and converts it into materials that are used by companies like Nike and Hewlett Packard. Thread builds reclamation supply chains in some of the most challenging places on earth, from Haiti to Bangladesh to the United States and in the process has become expert in how trash affects billions of the world's poorest people, as well as our land and our oceans. Ian, welcome to the Good Company Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just delighted, and I can't wait to see where this conversation is going to go. Um, and just for our listeners, uh, Ian, like all of us, is uh, coming to us from home. And, you know, there's kids, there's a nanny, there's a wife. And so there may be background noises. Just, you know, include everything. That's what we say. Uh, so, Ian, I just want to really start at the beginning and ask you, why are you a CEO? I have no business being a CEO. <laughs> <laughs> For all intents and purposes, and I apologize for background noise and all that, but yeah, I uh, I have uh, no no real business being a CEO. I was um, I studied uh, race and ethnic relations and integrated social sciences in college, um, so I wasn't in business by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I uh, got experience in, in in school in government. I was student government president of my college of Penn State University um, when I was there. Never really had an interest in business. In fact, I told my dad that I I, uh, I never wanted to work behind a desk ever. But you know, if I look back, my dad started his own business, my grandfather started his own business, my great grandfather okay. started his own business, okay. um, and I have a lot of women in my family that are entrepreneurs in their own right. And okay. and uh, so, so it, it it it's in the blood whether I like it or not. I guess that's awesome. That's very cool. So you're a CEO in spite of yourself. It's just genetic. You can't really help it. <laughs> I don't think I can, unfortunately. Can. Now that I have, I'm a CEO, I can't imagine being anything else. Great. Well, so I'd really love to um, get the snapshot of the story of Threads International, uh, Day Owl, and I forget the third part that's B2B. Tell us how each of these came to be and why they fit together as a whole, especially philosophically and from a values base. Yeah, sure. So, so um, I started Thread uh, originally after the earthquake in Haiti, and way back in 2010, I, I traveled there. Um, I, I, I was working for a marketing agency at the time. Um, I, they were a great group of people. I just didn't love my job, um, and I had this is my second second company. So, my first company was a television production company in New York City. Um, that started uh, right back before the the 2008 crash, and uh, I I just wrong place wrong time with my comp company number one and and that failed so I had to come back to Pittsburgh kind of tail tucked between my legs, and uh, decided that um, I wanted to uh, start another business but I didn't really know where uh, and, and when the earthquake happened I decided uh, to travel <laughs> travel there and get the chance to see what was going on and see if I can be useful. 
and uh, and it just took it just took a, a a turn that changed my life. I got the chance to spend a lot of time in Haiti after the quake. Um, the the people that I met there were incredible, um, but the two things that I saw there um, were the same two things I see every place that I travel in the low income world. I saw a lot of poverty and a lot of trash. So originally, I started a nonprofit that still exists that helps place the poorest of the poor into jobs. Um, the problem was in a place like Haiti, uh, there aren't a lot of jobs to go around. So I had this nonprofit that was specializing in placing people into jobs, uh, but didn't have a lot of jobs to place people into. So um, that was my business. My business was born out of the necessity of needing to create jobs for my friends and the poor that I was working with. And, and so then how did Thread grow to do what it's doing today, which is um, sourcing sustainable materials into usable uh, products? That's a great question. I, you know, so I, just to explain, I mean, I, I will, I've explained it a little bit in the introduction here, but you know, give us the overview of what Thread does. Yeah, sure. So uh, uh, Thread as an entity takes trash from the poorest areas of the world um, and we convert it into uh, what we say useful stuff that people love. So sometimes that means it's materials for, uh, for retail companies, um, brands like uh, Airy and Reebok and uh, Puma are all clients of ours as well as um, people that don't make clothes, uh, brands like HP, who makes a computer with our material, or um, Unilever, who's developing uh, sourcing supply chains with our material. These are all terrific, sustainable companies in their own right, um, but they use us uh, to help figure out how to pull trash out of areas that um, has been very traditionally very difficult to pull waste out of. It's very, it's very hard um, to develop infrastructure that gets waste out of the areas of the world that we work in. So we got very, very good. In fact, I'd say we're the best in the world at understanding what's happening in what we call the first mile of supply chains. Um, from the time a bottle is thrown onto the ground to the time it ends up um, in, a, in a recycled content, that's where we specialize. Um, and we help uh, promote uh, goodwill and uh, livelihoods in the communities that we serve. We do lots of programming um, that, that helps do that. And then about three, three years ago, I realized that I think that the industries are moving too slowly towards sustainability. And um, while we created our company to put people into work and to help brands get better at being sustainable and being um, circular, um, it's still very, very slow, slow going. Um, the, for as many brands as that we work with, there's lots and lots that, that don't care about sustainability yet, despite it being, I think, the single largest business opportunity in, in history. Um, so in the true spirit of if you can't, if you can't join them, beat them, <laughs> uh, I started a direct-to-consumer arm of the business that that makes things out of our own materials and sells it directly to consumers. Our first product is a backpack and, uh, and that's day out. So, uh, we now serve, uh, people in Haiti, Honduras, Taiwan. We're opening up uh, supply chains this year, next year in Indonesia, in, uh, North Africa, either Nigeria or Kenya in Brazil and the Philippines and in India. So we'll be in maybe Vietnam. So we'll be in eight or nine countries by, uh, by the end of next year. And are those primarily the countries that you're sourcing from, or are you also selling into those countries? Do you, is your uh, consumer market primarily U.S.? Consumer market's primarily U.S. right now, and the only reason for that is it, it takes a lot of time, energy, uh, and like actual energy, not just uh, human energy, um, 
to move our bags uh, all over the world. Um, and it's just expensive for us to do that right now. So once we get that sorted out, we get distribution sorted out, we'll definitely move into the markets that we source in. Um, but as it stands, um, the vast majority of the waste that's ending up in the world's oceans is coming from uh, five countries in South and Southeast Asia, um, river deltas. And so we're focusing, we just, we're moving, making this move into Asia because uh, the, if you think of the earth as um, the hu a human body, you think of rivers as the veins and arteries that make the human body, um, body move um, and, and run. And so our rivers transport everything we need, whether it's um, the nutrients to grow our food or the waste that we throw away. And uh, trash is no exception. The vast majority of trash that ends up in the oceans comes from rivers. So we set up operations in those, those countries because um, we're trying to keep as much plastic out of the ocean as possible. And that people, usually the poor, that we believe can have more dignified jobs, are the, the principal removers of that waste from the atmosphere, from, uh, from the environment. Well, uh, I found you because I am a plastic hater. I don't have any plastic in my house that I can possibly find an alternative or a way to remove. So I just love what you're doing with Thread. Thank you for that. I hope that you are able to find sourcing partners and large company partners that are able to help you really scale this uh, at the size and the pace that the world needs it. Thanks. Yes. So we will. Yeah. Yes. So, so that's thread. And so then day owl, which is taking the sourced trash product, uh, that becomes a great material and turning that material into a backpack. What is a day owl? Why do you call it day owl? Oh, that's such a good question. I love getting that question. You know, we call, we named the, the, that part of our company, after uh, the people that we serve. Um, and, and so, you know, when I think of the people that get up on the landfill every morning or uh, that live in or around landfills um, and, uh, and go to work collecting waste, processing waste, saving waste, um, and, and trying to put food on the table, uh, from sunup to sundown, they're the best entrepreneurs I've ever met, uh, hands down. I've learned more from them than from any professor I've had. Uh, from any book I've read, from any uh, entrepreneur that I've met uh, here in the States. Tell me something you've learned. Oh, God. Every, uh, everything I know about being an, a CEO, I've learned from our supply chains. Um, the, the How to keep business simple, um, persistence, uh, grit despite personal adversity, um, uh, uh, innovation, how to take things that you don't typically think would be useful and turn them into something useful. Uh, Literally, the, the best business people I've ever met uh, will never get the chance to speak at on podcasts. And, and so I just feel like I, I get the unfair job um, because they're the ones that actually you should be interviewing. And so, yeah, I, I, I just feel like uh, I don't remember actually what you asked, but now that I'm just thinking about what I've learned. Oh, yeah. Day owl. Yeah. So what is a day owl? Uh, when we decided to, to think about making something of our own, I wanted to celebrate work. I wanted to celebrate employment. I wanted to celebrate um, the dignity of being able to put food on the table. And I realized that there are people in the first mile of our supply chains that are those people. And there are people in the last mile of supply chains that are those people. And very oftentimes those people don't think of themselves in the same group, right? For whatever reason you think of the poor um, in relative terms, 
as uh, being somehow different, of somehow needing things. Um, and that's just not the case at all. Um, the poor uh, operate in the same um, same bandwidth that the, the wealthy do. Um, they all want a better life for their kids. They all want a roof over their heads. They all want food on the table. They all want to not have to worry about where their next meal is coming. And, and I realized that these are traits that many people that I know and the, the people that I love in my life all share. And so we started thinking about how, what we were going to name the company. I wanted to name it after, after those people. That's very cool. I was wondering, what is a day owl? Yeah, it's like that moment you open your eyes in the morning. I, I wanted to celebrate like the moment that you know your your eyes open and you get after the day. Um, you know that 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 split second after you know the eyes open and, and your brain kind of reengages is like to me the heart of every day. I can see a really cool ad campaign for Day Owl where the owl opens his eyes. Yeah, I've yeah. Uh, as a person whose first company was a failed television production company, yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about um, about about thirty second ads, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and yeah, I have definitely have some ideas uh, for that one for eyes opening. For eyes opening, uh, okay. So I know that you made a stunning, pretty stunning pivot earlier this year mm-hmm. when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So can you just Take us back to March. I think it was March. Uh, yeah, it was March. When suddenly the backpack crowd maybe wasn't buying so many backpacks because nobody was going anywhere. What that, where you were at in that moment in time as a company, how that hit you personally, and then what you did. Uh, yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, life changed dramatically on, I'd say it was about March 17th. And so like so many business owners, we were looking at layoffs and how do we have, how do we close the company? What do we do? And I initially laid off about a third of my workforce and, and um, very quickly. To, so uh, we just right away started thinking about what we could do. And we realized that um, a lot of people were needing face shields and face masks. And within 10 days, we started, uh, we had designed and sourced, which sourcing was the hardest part at that particular time, um, material for face shields. I got a client, hired all my team back. We hired another 15 people over top of that who had all been laid off from their jobs for the most part. And we started pumping out uh, PPE. And so today, to date, we've, we've, I think we've done somewhere in the vicinity of 400, 300, 300 to 400,000 units of personal protective oh equipment. And who is buying that? All sorts of people. Uh, hospital systems, insurance companies, uh, nonprofits that source free clinics um, and uh, rural clinics that don't have access to or the, the budget to buy basic materials. Um, and then we actually released a, our own product, our direct-to-consumer face mask that our, cust- our day out customers can buy too. So the average you know person out in the world can go to our site and and, and purchase um, a face mask for their own family. So give me an example of a company, you know HP or any of the others that you named, and um, you know the specific example of how you got them on board. What was the business case sure. that they bought? I mean, I'll use HP because they're a great partner and um, and. Uh, they have uh, they have their 
head about them, I'd say, from a business perspective. HP gets that when you take controversial topics in sustainability and you become the leader on them, then it flips it from a risk into an opportunity, right? Like I'll take a really good example in child labor. Uh, it, you know, if, if you're a big company and you source recycled plastic, you have kids in your supply chain. You have, you're using, you're leveraging child labor. It's a part of your supply chain. Now we don't talk about it and they don't talk about it and they don't like to talk about it. But like the simple fact is if you go to any of the big beverage companies, if you go to any of the big tech companies that source recycled plastics, they've got kids in their supply chain. Um, and so, you know, rather than run away from that, you can't just say like, oh, we're going to source our material from someplace else. Well, now you know about the kids in the supply chain. You know that there are kids picking up plastic bottles in, in landfills. So the real question is, what are you going to do about it? And, and brands are not well suited to those types of questions. They don't understand necessarily how they might act on those things. So they don't have mechanisms in place that allow them to do things about things like child labor in a supply chain all the way down to the bottom of their chain. So I started reaching out to brands and saying, look, this is happening. You know, you have an opportunity. Um, what now is a massive risk. You have an opportunity to become an industry leader. You know, by, by looking at what, what's, what are the vulnerabilities in your supply chain and attacking them with the full force of your business, um, then you have the opportunity to get out in front of things that customers care about. So we went to HP and we said, look, there's 200 and some kids working in the Truth Day landfill in Haiti. Um, you source material and you want to source material from this area. Um, why don't you partner with us and, and we'll help you figure out how to eliminate child labor in this landfill. And you can then talk about that with your customers and with your employees and talk about the things that HP does to be a good corporate citizen and um, turn these things on their head. And they, they said yes. And who are you? Who are you talking to at HP? I mean, not the name of the person, but what part of the business was listening? All over. In HP, it was it was um, folks within their sustainability department. But they, in H HP is also, I think, an exception in a lot of companies in that its sustainability is valued uh, as a as a leadership role at, at, and within the organization. So it, it wasn't difficult to to get um, to get them to listen. In fact. I went to HP's headquarters back in the day when we could travel to headquarters and um, and, and then my first pitch and I got the chance to talk with a woman there that is now a great partner of ours. And um, and I, you know, I essentially said, just come to Haiti with me and, and see what it's like. You know, just join us. Just just to take a trip, take three days and come with me. And they did. They said yes. So when I, that's when it works great. And now we've got these supply chains set up where now I've done the heavy lifting with our with our team of eliminating the risk. So now we've got these really incredible first mile supply chains that are, you know, helping put people back to work and doing it in a way that allows them to get, put their kids into school and make enough money and um, have the things they need to have a dignified life. And now I'm just asking companies to, to come in and participate in it. Look, you need to source recycled material, source this recycled material. We'll monitor the supply chain for you day in and day out. If there's anything that comes up, we'll implement, you know, solutions in partnership with you. And then we'll help you talk about them with your customers. Incredible. If I can sell a backpack five times, right, and I only have to pay for it, and it's with its cogs at the first time, each time I refurbish it, I'm only paying five or ten dollars. So now, so now when I sell it again, I'm, it's pure contrib contribution margin. So my lifetime value goes up, my my uh, operating margin goes up, my cross selling opportunities go up. So, but, I mean, if anybody tells you that circularity is not good business, they are lying to you.
It's like there's there's no chance. Like I I think the only reason that brands haven't done this in major ways is they don't know how. It's difficult to 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 turn a moving train. So we have the benefit of being able to set up that way. So I don't really care if you're a big brand and you haven't figured it out yet. Like I will help you figure it out. I think that there are certain things about sustainability that are pre-competitive, and I I'm very happy to share what we know. But I have the the ability if I can sell a backpack four times or five times, and and you know just to plant another idea in there, like what if I can do enough to a backpack in refurbishing it that I could sell it for more than I sold it the first time around? What does it take for somebody to have to? What would I have to do to something in order for a customer to pay not a hundred and twenty dollars for it, but three hundred dollars? Like what can I do to it that makes it more valuable the second time around? And to me. Not only is that great business, but it's proving once and for all that sustainability has value. And I think that's something that most people and most brands have not been able to crack, that we're going to crack. That's something that I, if we have a legacy, that's something that I hope we can, we can offer. Into the world. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Ian, it's been to say it's a pleasure. I don't think does this conversation justice. It's been enlightening. It's been heartwarming. Uh, it's been an education really, really appreciate you, what you're doing, the way that you're doing it, and the multiple dimensions that you think on. Uh, it's it's really been very cool. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure that's not on purpose. My wife would say that just means I'm scatterbrained. But, uh, but thank you for turning it into a compliment. I'll take it. Um, and we're by no means perfect. And I've got a great crew behind me. So. No, of course, nobody's perfect. Uh, but it is really inspiring to um, to listen to you and to learn from you. And I, I just appreciate it. It's been delightful to have this conversation with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. If you like what you're hearing, you'll find all the Good Company episodes on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. If you're curious about working with me, send me an email, barbara at shannon-solutions.com. Till next time, stay strong and carry on. I'm Barbara Shannon, and you are listening to the Good Company Podcast.